So this morning, we honor and celebrate Howard's 20th ordination anniversary. And in place of a sermon, he has asked us to interview him, to learn more about what it's been like these past 20 years. He invited the worship staff team, including Reverend Gary Smith, our minister emeritus, to generate these questions. And he asked us not to tell them what they were in advance. He is a brave man. (laughs) And he trusts us. (laughs) So Howard, the first call, or first question is, what called you to UU ministry, and what was your life like before that call? So I felt called to the ministry since I was probably a 13 or a 14-year-old boy. I was raised in the Presbyterian tradition and uh, was always, I was part of a church-going family. So we went every Sunday and it was very important to me, uh, at least three generations every Sunday in those pews. And I remember that call being a realization one Sunday in church when I was looking at the minister and I realized that he was doing what I wanted to do with my life and that it was congregation that I wanted to work with. Then things got complicated. So I went to college, uh, found out that Presbyterianism wasn't big enough for me, also found out that they were not particularly interested in ordaining openly gay people in those years. They've come around to being in a much better place now. And so even though I was active in my in the Presbyterian church through college, coming out of college, I needed something that was bigger. I needed something that was more expansive and that would fit me better. And pretty quickly, I found Unitarian Universalism at uh, First Unitarian Church in Portland, Oregon. But I was also trying to get out of this call to ministry. I was hiding from it. I did not really want to um, follow it. It was there. It kept nagging me. It kept sitting, putting things in my way that were obviously the right thing. But um, So I tried to do some nonprofit work for four years, and that didn't work at all. I did some good for them, but it was through that particular church that that reawakened that call to ministry that I went to Star King School for the ministry um, pretty much four years after college, and that then 20 years ago was ordained. So that's how the, the call kept pursuing me. What was it like moving from being a Presbyterian to being a Unitarian Universalist? And maybe if there were any surprises or any things that your heart had longed for that you found here. It's funny because First Unitarian in Portland is quite a bit like this church. It's pretty traditional. And so that move was not that big a jump. Theologically, sure, Jesus wasn't the center of things anymore. But he was still hanging around with Buddha and, you know, some other folks. And... And so I think it was an easier transition for me from Presbyterianism to that particular church than the wider denomination. It was a little bit of a shock to show up at seminary and realize that there were folks that had been raised in very humanist congregations or uh, congregations that were much lower church than the one that I had been raised in. And so uh, that was that was both a moment of, oh, who are these UUs? And it was also a recognition that this was a big tent. And I think that that's the thing that has kept me steady in it for so long, is that when, when we are our best, 
we don't exclude anyone's particular religious belief or tradition, but instead we say, let's be in conversation with one another. Let's all gather under the same tent and be really interested in one another. Um, Though I do remember there were some times, uh, certainly uh, in seminary and certainly in church life since, where there was some strife, uh, theological strife, and that was often caused because somebody felt like somebody was getting more attention or uh, not enough attention. I remember some some battles over some sermons I gave, some battles over some hymns we sang, um, what was allowed, what wasn't allowed. So I don't I don't, don't want to paint an overly rosy picture, because my experience of ministry, and this was not a surprise to me, was that there was going to be a, a fair amount of conflict in it, um, and that. Being part of a community uh, just involves us not agreeing about with about everything, and so especially when you're the leader of a community, sometimes um, you get more of the complaint or more of the conflict than some other folks. And so that has not scared me off of ministry, but it's it definitely comes with the package. Well said. <laughs> <laughs> So what do you remember most about your ordination, the actual ceremony? It was fun to look at the order of service again because I had forgotten so many things about it. I had some vague recollection of who did what, but it's one of those days that sort of stands out of time. Uh, there's, it, like a wedding, it, there's a lot of build-up to it. You're inviting folks generally from across the country. You have to figure it out long in advance. And there's a lot of anticipation that comes along with it. And I just, I remember more how that day felt than anything. Um, friends had gathered. My parents came to my ordination, which for, that was a big deal. It was the second and last time my mother ever flew on an airplane. Uh, she simply does not fly, and she flew from uh, Montana to Michigan for my ordination. So that meant a lot. It meant a lot to have my parents there. They didn't understand at all what was going on. They were like, well, that was nice, but where was Jesus? Um, <laughs> so they were good sports about it. I think they were a con- little confused uh, by the whole thing. Um, the other person that came um, who was very significant to me was a woman named Vicki Wida. And Vicki was essentially like a second mother to me. She was active in the Presbyterian church that I grew up in. She led the youth group there. She is one of the folks that I could most depend on as a teenager and then as a young adult. And to have And she was also one of the people that just kept saying, you know, are you ready to go to seminary yet? You know, you're called to the ministry. Hello, you know, how's it going in there? And it meant a lot to have Vicki travel out for that as well and to have her be there. She um, has just had a tremendous uh, effect on my life. The day was... It was a beautiful Saturday afternoon in September, and Michigan is just gorgeous in the fall. And what I remember about that day was that the church was full and that the music was really lively. Um, The piece we'll close the service with today just brought the house down uh, during the ceremony. And what I remember is that 
um, in an ordination, oddly enough, the person being ordained has almost nothing to say. You've got a couple of lines in the order of service that you say, and then you generally give the benediction. So it was a day of receiving affirmation. It was a day of being seen. And it felt like just a real culmination of a lot of work and of this call that had been steady and sometimes nagging in my life. And I definitely felt different after those words were said. Um, I also was a little bit wistful because it was clear to me that after that day, I didn't get to go back. I didn't get to just be a lay person again. And if you all don't realize how beautiful it is, the position that you have, (laughs) you just get to be here. You get to be part of this community. You get to lead when you want to lead. You get to step back when you need to step back. And it there was a moment of panic before the ordination in which I realized that on that day, I stopped being a layperson, which is what I had been clear up until that day. And that that, in some odd way, was a loss. Um, but it was it was something that I was willing to to hand over to be in leadership in a in a different way. Amen. <laughs> no, I'm in the question spot, but not the ordination itself, but the time since. What has surprised you about being ordained, being an ordained minister? First off, do you and, have more? and maybe also, what do you think would surprise our congregation about being an ordained minister? So, first off, it it was not very different than I imagined. Um, I'd been raised in the church. I'd been around ministers all of my life, and so I and I'd examined kind of what they did. I had a sense of what they did before I went. So, so the good news was that there was very much about being ordained that was very comfortable to me and something that I'd wanted for a long time. There were definitely some surprises, uh, both good surprises and not so good surprises. One of the most amazing surprises that has been true for the last 20 years is how whenever especially in in public settings or in public institutions, hospitals, prisons, those kinds of places, all I have to do is say who I am, and doors just open. They just open. And the wider world generally knows how to to deal with a minister, Uh, generally knows that here's a person who's going to be serious and caring, uh, somebody who's going to listen well. The place that it doesn't work so well is in a bar. Because what happens in a bar... ...is that you start talking to someone nice, you got some things in common, you figure out where you're from... And then they say, so what do you do? And I tried lying. Because lying seemed like the better alternative. 
But that didn't work very well either, because ministers are really terrible liars. And so over the years, I've just I've kind of learned to roll with it. I've learned that 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 interaction, be it in a bar or in an airport or you know just some place just random where they where they're not expecting a minister, that 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 my revealing who I am is going to change the con- the conversation. It's either going to become deeper and more comfortable, or it's going to be over pretty quickly. <laughs> because in a bar. The minute you tell people you're a minister, they wonder if they've said a swear word recently. <laughs> and they tend to become very uncomfortable, or they're like, ooh, got a live one, <laughs> and tell you the, their whole life story. So that, that, notion, that notion of being a minister out in public, and I would say in the congregation, um, what would... It's surprising. Um, my brother's a police officer, and he once explained his job as um, as 10% driving somewhere with the siren on and 90% paperwork. <laughs> and so the other surprise about ministry was just how much is just email, it's just phone calls, it's just meetings, it's the kind of regular, ordinary stuff that I suppose any professional has to do to keep that profession going. And uh, for folks who are all starry-eyed about ministry and it's about taking nice long walks and writing beautiful sermons, yes, it is about those, but those got to fit in around all of the other things. Um, especially if a person is leading a congregation, it's, um, it's an amazing place where you are both with the people in a very real way and care about them deeply, and you're still a little bit set apart. Um, and that, that is by design. And that is part of the relationship that we have as minister and congregant. Because you need me to be able to be the one who holds the boundary. You need me to be the one who, even if you're not acting very nice, is going to act nice. You need me to be the one who says, "Mm, I don't think that's quite how we do it here. Can we find a different way of being together? And so... That was also a little bit of a surprise because my experience of being a lay leader was that it was very comfortable and it was very egalitarian, and that's how it should be. And and coming and, and being ordained and, and coming into the role of being a professional clergy changed that just a little bit, and that was that was a responsibility that I needed to take on. Um, the last thing I'll say is that. One of the most remarkable things about the last 20 years is how well you listen to me. Um, There are folks who remember sermons that I gave 15 years ago. I run into folks sometimes when I'm in Harrisburg visiting friends, and they'll they'll say, remember when you said, and I don't actually really remember, (laughs) you know? Exactly, or if it's what I said, but but the the respect and the care that you all give your clergy is deeply, deeply appreciated. Uh, that you listen to us, that you take what we uh, say and do thoughtfully, that you have your own thoughts. Um, I'd love it that you all don't always agree with me. How much more interesting is that? So is that is that deep, being in deep relationship and being listened to well that was. Another surprise, a nice surprise. This is a hard one. Okay. 
maybe the one, yeah. So what would you say is one of the most magical moments in your ministry? I mean, there are almost too many to count. Because for me, what stands out is that I would say that the, the place that I feel the most deeply is during a memorial service. That, that when somebody I know and have loved has died, and I'm the person who is there in the room with a job to do, which is to keep a service going that is to care for their friends and their family. And I am in deep need of grieving myself. And to be in that place and to, and to hold it, to stand just on the edge of grief. To stand there and to say, my job is to move us from element to element. Because what I know is that everybody in the room needs that. They need the whole thing. They need to sing. They need to laugh. They need to hear other folks talk about that person's life. So to stand on that moment, and there have been times, I don't know if any of you have seen me in a cemetery, but that's where I lose it. Because it's a little more personal. I'm there with just the family at the graveside. And there's been many a time when I couldn't actually blubber out the words of the last reading because I was too overcome with my own grief about the person who had died to do a good job in the cemetery. And so those stand out. Um, the other things that stand out are just ordinary Sunday mornings, just nothing special going on, and that people show up. I worry every single Sunday. <laughs> I just worry every single Sunday. I'm like, is anybody really going to come to church? Is it worth it? I think it's worth it, but maybe, maybe I'm the crazy one here. <laughs> and so just an ordinary Sunday when you didn't know who was speaking or you didn't know what the topic was and you just got up and you said, well, I'm in town and I'm going to church this morning. Those are absolute magic for your ministers because we all do this thing called worship together. And that's one of the reasons that I love it so much is that, yes, we prepare very carefully, but if you didn't show up, it wouldn't happen. And so those are magical moments. Um, I think that of all the ordinations that I've then been involved in, uh, the times that um, I, get, I get typecast, I usually have to ask for the offering. You know, because people know that, you know, I'll say, okay, come on, cough it up, folks. And to be there, and, and for me, every single ordination and every single installation is a chance for me to renew my own vows. Because I remember distinctly the things I said 20 years ago on that September morning. And every time somebody else says something similar, I'm saying it with them. And when they stand up and they say, I'm ready, and that congregation stands up and it says, we see you, it's just for me all over again. And so to, to know that I have made so many mistakes and there have been so many hard times in ministry, but they are so greatly outweighed 
by the amazing moments, um, the times when something just works right, the time when uh, you know a colleague uh, can be helped by something that I say, the time a congregant just needs somebody to listen to them for an hour. That so overweighs the hard stuff that um, that those are the magical moments. Uh, there's, you know, it's the day-to-day work uh, that is the joy. So one more question, but it's a two-parter. How has this congregation fed your call to ministry? And what is your vision for ministry going forward? The odd thing is, I think we needed each other more than we realized. I needed to be done with the church in Harrisburg. That ministry had come to a very natural close. Um, if I had stayed much longer there, there probably would have been a fight. I didn't want that for them. And so what I needed to do was I needed to figure out who was going to be next, that the call to ministry was as clear as a bell, as clear as it's been since that day when I was a 13 or 14-year-old boy. And so the question was, so who needs what I have to offer? And I looked around. I did a nationwide search. I looked at probably, to begin with, 10 or 15 churches uh, in earnest. And it kept being narrowed down and narrowed down and narrowed down. And truthfully, I was so scared of you all that I'm not quite sure why I clicked on your profile. Your reputation precedes you in good ways and in less than good ways. What I knew about this congregation is that it had been through a very rough time, that it had had a church fight, that many people were still raw from that, that many people were still missing the last two ministers who had served here. And what I knew was that The two things that I could offer you that I thought you might need were love and good boundaries. And that was about all I had to go on to come here. Love and good boundaries. And so as the search went on, and I interviewed in some other places, and some other places were pretty interested in me, this was the place where the call was big enough and scary enough and real enough to have it maybe work. And so it was that fall now, six years ago, that I came here. I remember candidating week as if it were last week. That was a rough week, folks, a really rough week. And it was almost over about halfway through. I showed up anyway. I showed up because that's what you do in ministry. You trust that someone else or something else knows more than you know about what you're supposed to do next. And so I showed up, and we started. I mean, we just started. And boy, did we step on each other's toes a lot those first couple of years. But we just kept going. And that's also part of my understanding of ministry, is that you just keep going. Um, Sure, there are times to call it quits, but not until you've given it a really good run. 
not until you've opened yourself up and said, this is who I am, uh, can we do this thing together? And so my sense is that over the six years that we've walked together, uh, little by little, uh, we've opened ourselves up to each other more and more. We've gotten used to each other. We know what our personalities are like. You know what my personality is like. I know what your personality is like. And little by little, it has grown and deepened. So the last thing I'll say is that there's no reason it can't go on. But what I know is that if the fighting starts again, that will be a signal that it's over. I want to love this congregation. I do not want to quarrel with it. We can disagree and we can have different opinions about how things can be done, but we cannot fight with one another, ever. That's all I need. It's a joy to serve you. It has been an amazing six years. I don't know where it's going, but boy, is it real. Thank you, Howard. Thank you. And thank you for accepting this call. And we wish you at least another 20 years. And just remind you that it would be 44 more years if you were to surpass Ezra Ripley. (laughs) 